the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. Christ didn't simply heal a paralyzed man. He transformed him, both physically and spiritually. Those who are saved understand the very physical and spiritual relationship they have with Jesus Christ. If you know this, want this for someone else or for yourself, keep listening. The Transformative Power of Christ with Pastor John Allworth starts now. Good afternoon, Southeast Texas. This is Pastor John Allworth of New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. I want to try to help you today. I want to talk about not letting shame and guilt rob you of the purpose that God has for you in your life. I'm going to use three stories today to talk about how God relates to us. You know, we in the Western world, we tend to want to make a point and then we want to make three citations. I'm a lawyer also, and and this is what we do in law and to prove our point. And so we look at the Bible sometimes very literally and very, um, we'll just read it and we'll make a point and this happened here. While in the Eastern world, they tend to look at the Bible more as how God related to the people in the story. And, you know, ultimately, that's what our walk with Christ is about. It's about our relationship with him. So I think that's a a very valuable perspective to look at how God related to the people in the story and what points God was trying to make when he inspired the the portions of the Bible that you're looking at. So I was in a men's meeting the other day, and I asked a question, who here has ever sinned? And, of course, every man's hand went up. And I asked another question, who here has ever felt guilty about their mistakes or their sins? And again, every hand in the room went up. And, you know, it's the oldest trick in the book. You know, man has been trying to hide his sin from God from the beginning of time. We see that right in Genesis. And, of course, we can't hide anything from God. That's just our foolishness. Uh, God knows everything, yet he still loves us. He still forgave us for all our sins. He's just such a good and forgiving God. And all that's required by us, of course, is to accept Jesus Christ as our, to repent, accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, be baptized in his name, and and uh, begin trying to imitate him as best as we can. But, of course, we won't do that perfectly. So the enemy uses the shame and guilt. He's very good at using shame and guilt uh, to to rob us, uh, to keep us under the bondage of sin. You know, I, in my recovery work, I see people all the time that are just so wrapped up in their guilt and, uh, that, and shame that the, they go back to whatever, like the Bible says, it's a very graphic phrase. It says, like a dog returning to its vomit. They return to whatever numbs them out. So the enemy uses that to keep us under the bondage of sin. He uses it. Uh, he uses it with men to keep us from our role as spiritual leader of the house uh, or with women to think, I I can't lead this ministry. I can't be involved in this ministry. I'm not good enough. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. God uses. He, in fact, he uses our imperfections and our mistakes to benefit other people. 
because then we have a testimony and we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He's such a good God. He's so incredibly brilliant. So anyway, we know in Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to use these three stories, two out of the Old Testament, two out of the book of Genesis, and one out of the book of John uh, to talk about how God relates to us. So we're going to begin in Genesis, right at the end of chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Moving on to chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And she added the touch part. That's not what God told Adam, but that's an I digress. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. All right. So we know this story. We know this, this, this beginning of the fall of man. And, and we know uh, what God did. He banished them from the garden. He showed us that our sin has consequences. But let's look at what else God may be. Trying. What are some of the hidden treasures in this story that God may be trying to tell us? Okay, first of all, we've, we've got a talking snake, all right? So that's unusual. There's only two places in the Bible where beasts talk, and this is one of them. We've got a talking snake. And secondly, we've got, uh, we've got something that gets lost in English but is very obvious in Hebrew. You've got to remember now that we didn't, they didn't have the advantage of Bibles. The Gutenberg printing press wasn't invented for several hundred or several millennia and uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. And so these are stories that are passed down orally uh, in the Jewish community. You've also got to remember another thing. When I talk about how the Eastern and Western perspectives are different, this book was written by Jews for a Jewish audience primarily, almost exclusively. So we've got to really, I think, to really understand the Bible, we need to we need to try to adapt that Eastern perspective, which is very different from us, from from our perspective, what we're taught in the Western world. So, but in Hebrew, the word for naked is aron, a r o w n. That's how we do it in English. Of course, Hebrew has no no vowels, but that's how it works out in English, a r o w n. And in some uh, some 
translations, nakedness is part of the story, E-R-O-W-M. So A-R-O-W-N, E-R-O-W-M, and then crafty. Remember the serpent? He was crafty or cunning. And that's E-R-U-W-M, so Erum. So if you're listening to this story, we've got Adam and Eve who are made wonderfully. They're made, God made them naked. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. They're in the garden, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. But that has the same sound. The serpent, crafty serpent, Erum, as, as their nakedness. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're no longer comfortable with the way that God made them because they've listened to the crafty serpent. So this, this sound, it would be almost indistinguishable if you were hearing this in, in Hebrew originally as it was passed down for centuries. Erum, 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 the crafty serpent. And okay, and then God says, ask the question, where are you? Now, God knew where they were. God knows everything. Now, there's two different kinds of wares in, in the Hebrew language. There's like, I'll use an example, like your kids. You haven't seen them all day. You're not sure where they are. They may be at practice or they may, they may be home now. You're on your cell phone. You're like, where, where are you? You know, just kind of having conversation, just figuring out their day. Where are you? Or you know they're supposed to be home, and you get home, and they're not there. And it's like, where are you? Well, it's the second one. God's using the where are you because they're supposed to be there in such a wonderful expression. In the cool of the day, walking, can you imagine walking with the garden, with God in the cool of the day? And so he's like, where are you? He knew. And, and I ask, God knew what they'd done. He knew that they'd sinned, and, and they're trying to hide it from him just as we do. You know, we take certain portions of our life, our sin, and we compartmentalize it. And we go to church and, and we try to live right and we do a bunch of things right, but we've got this one thing or maybe a couple things that we want to keep from God, that we don't want to live a godly life. We want to keep that. But God knows, and he's asking all of us, where are you? Where are you in your walk? So then he says, Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. All of a sudden, this crafty servant, serpent has convinced him that there's something wrong with the way that God made him. And, you know, Adam should have been saying, I'm afraid because I disobeyed you, not because I was naked. The serpent's got his, his thinking all twisted up here. And God asked just a brilliant question. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that there was something wrong with the maid that I made you? Who told you that there's something wrong with what I gave you? Everything that I gave you. I gave you everything in life that you need to succeed. And who told you there was something wrong with it? Because that's what the world tells us all the time. You need to do this. You need to do that. We see these commercials, these people and these wild parties and, and these TV shows that glorify all kinds of sinful activities. Who told us that what God gave us wasn't sufficient? And then we look back up in the story, and then just as a sidelight, the man says, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. Well, I bet that caused some problems in the marital relationship. He threw his wife under the bus. I mean, they're just making mistakes right and left here, as we all do. And she said earlier, or thought, the story tells us, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Well, God, you see, there's a couple of points in this story. The serpent here, who's a tool of Satan, he's not Satan, he's a tool of Satan, 
It's another story, but Satan doesn't have that power to turn into a snake. He's a tool of Satan. He look at him. He's he's talking like a man. He's he's reasoning. He's making trying to make a logical argument. He's doing all the things that some of us might associate with human. But this story is about the difference between beasts and man and that we have to control our desires and be trust God and be happy with what he gives us. But we're not always like that. And so there's consequences to our sin and they're banished from the garden. But look how God treats them still. If we go down to chapter three, verse 21, we read the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his, and his wife and clothed them. God met them where they were, met them in their shame, made, tried to comfort them, made them garments. He's a good God. There were consequences. The Bible tells us the wages of sin are death. There are consequences, but he still comforted them. He still loved them. So let's go now to the story of Cain and Abel in the next chapter. So Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, or Cain, Cain in Hebrew, which means acquired, by the way. We don't have time to get into that, but that's the meaning of the word. And names had a lot of meaning back then. It's acquired. She said, with the help of the Lord God, I have brought forth a man. She understood that everything good comes from God. She acquired him. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, or some translations, that would be the best portions from some of his firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. You know, that's the way we all are. When things don't go our way, we, we, we get angry. We get downcast. You know, we get our feathers ruffled rather than just trusting God, trusting the story. Anyway, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Again, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God is trying to teach us in these first two stories that we have to control if you look at the fruits of the, of, the, of, of the Spirit, we think about all these wonderful fruits, joy, love, the, all these fruits that come. But you know what the last fruit of the Spirit is? It's self-control. And God's trying to tell us here. He's telling Cain, you know, it's okay. You know, you had a bad day. We don't really know why his offering wasn't any good. The story doesn't tell us. But Abel's was better. It's okay. You know, if you do what's good tomorrow... If you, then everything's going to be okay. Put this behind you. Don't get wrapped up in, sin, in shame and guilt for what happened, because if you do, there's going to be negative consequences. There's going to be sin is going to be crouching at your door. So God was saying, it's okay, Cain. Don't worry about it. Just do better tomorrow. But sin is crouching at your door when we have a failure to forgive, when we hold grudges, when we're envious, when we're jealous, when we're angry, when we're all these things that God doesn't want for us. Then sin is crouching at our door. It desires to have you. The devil's using your shame, your guilt, your disappointment against you, and he does it still today. He uses that against us to try to get us to sin. So God tells us in his word, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. We have that fruit of the Spirit, that self-control. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We're different than the beasts. We're different than the animals. God made us in his own image, and he gave us the tools, the tools to resist sin, to lead better lives. But even though Cain made mistakes, he still, God said, it's okay. Just do better tomorrow. He did the same thing with Adam and Eve. Sure, he banished them from the garden, but he met them where, he were, where they were, and he, and he gave them the comfort by giving them clothes that he made so that they'd be comfortable because now they realized from the crafty serpent that they were naked. All right, let's go to the New Testament, and let's see how Jesus deals with something. And this is the, the, tale, uh, the talk with the Samaritan woman that Jesus had. I'm going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Okay, this right right, right here is already, some, you know, this story is already telling us something really cool. You know, but we, we just, again, the Western perspective, we just look at the facts. Okay, Jesus came to a well and asked a woman, will you give me a drink? Well, there's a lot more to it because, you see, Jesus was a Jew, and Jewish people didn't talk to Samaritans back then. I mean, it was taboo. And men didn't talk to women like this. That was just not acceptable in the culture. Now, Jesus is telling us right here that he doesn't care about what your ethnicity is, what country you're from, your gender, uh, man or woman. He doesn't care. Everyone is welcome in his kingdom. And so the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, skipping down to verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, whoever drinks the water from Jesus Christ, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Well, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She misses the point. He told her, Go call, but Jesus answers it so brilliantly, so brilliantly. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So Jesus reaches out to this woman, despite the fact that she's a Samaritan, despite the fact that she's a woman, and he reaches out to her, and he offers her, just as he offers each and every person listening to my voice, just as he offers every person out there who's lived with five husbands. You know, this woman's probably living a crazy lifestyle. She's living with somebody that's not her husband. She's been divorced or maybe, who knows, had five husbands and, you know, has obviously lived a lifestyle that is not godly and that has caused her in all likelihood all kinds of problems. And, and here she is, just this lost soul. But Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. And there he is talking to her, offering her, just as he offers each and every one of us, this living water, 
this living water that wells up to eternal life. What a wonderful, beautiful thing. So she, Jesus, identifies what's right there with his question, with his exchange with her. He identifies what's keeping her down in her life, the problems that she's having, why she's living this lifestyle where she's just going through men like crazy. He identifies it to her right there and says, you know, you are right. You've had five husbands, and the man you have live with now is not your husband. And, of course, we know that's not the way to live a godly life. But you know what? Jesus uses her just as he uses. As I said earlier, the, sometimes the, the crazier our life has been, the, the wilder we've been, the things that we've walked through, the things that we've got, gone through, just like people like my friend, Pastor Boyd Harrell, who's, who you know, found Jesus in a prison cell 30 years ago, got on his knees, and now has a prison ministry and reaches out. He can go into prisons and talk to people in a way that you or I couldn't because he's been there, and God can use that. Moses was a murderer. God can use anyone anytime, and sometimes the crazier and wilder your testimony is, the greater power you have to help people that are going walking through the same thing. And so we see in the New Testament how Jesus relates to this woman, and we see over in chapter 4, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So they knew who this woman was. This is not a huge town, metropolis. This is a town where everybody knew who this woman was, knew her history, knew that she was living with somebody that wasn't her husband, knew that that she had had five husbands, knew that she was in all likelihood living some crazy, you know, uh, prodigal or extravagant lifestyle, partying, just, just, yet here she came back excited saying that she'd met this man who offered eternal water, eternal living water, eternal life, that knew everything about her and yet still approached her. And he used that testimony. And all the people were were waiting there, ready to accept him. When you testify about the light of Christ in your life, about what Jesus Christ has done for you, about how he's helped you, how he's called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, no matter what it is you've been through, whether it's sickness that you've overcome, whether or not it's, it's some certain form of sin that you were in bondage to for a long time, we've all gone through these trials and tribulations. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all got a testimony and we've all got a purpose, and that is to witness to people and to bring them into the kingdom of Christ, just as Jesus demonstrated there. He wants everyone to come under his kingdom. God wants no man to perish, but all to come to repentance. And you've got a purpose. And, and your purpose is the same as it is as that Samaritan woman's. And that is to reach out to people and tell them just who your Jesus is. You know, I lived much of my life not living for Christ. It was a long time. I went through many, many trials and tribulations before I fully surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I walked the road of addiction but I overcame it because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I overcame it because I finally surrendered to him. I overcame it because I gave my life to Christ and I saw how everything began to to change because we serve a God of restoration. And I saw that, but you know that seeds were planted all along the way. We get so frustrated because we witness to people and they don't immediately pick up a Bible and come to church. You're planting seeds to people and you never know when they're going to take root 
and begin to grow. And I remember back my great-grandmother, when I was four, five, six years old, she told me about Jesus. She told me how good he was and how important it was that he be in my life. And I never forgot that. And it took a while. I guess I'm stubborn. You know, I, I just, uh, for whatever reason, God had to take me down a certain road. But I remembered all those seeds he planted. And I remembered all the times that God had reached out to me during my life when I wasn't paying any attention and sent people into my path. And you've got that same ability as you tell people how good Jesus Christ has been in your life. So God, that's how he relates to us. He never gives up on us. He never does. And he wants everyone to come into his kingdom. You know, join us at New Covenant Church, Greater Heights. We meet on Sunday nights in the Heights. And we have, you know, it's a spirit-filled church. We have a lot of fun, but we're also a Bible-based church. And we'll preach about the word of the Lord. And uh, we really take it seriously, but at the same time, we have a lot of fun because when the Spirit of the Lord, when the Holy Ghost joins us, when the Holy Spirit is there, it is just so uplifting. And we end our Sunday nights ready to approach the week in a supercharged, supernatural fashion. It's just a wonderful thing. Please join us at 240 West 18th Street, 6 p.m., 77008, non-denominational, Bible-based, Spirit-filled church. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to encourage you. We love you at New Covenant Church, Greater Heights, but more importantly, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Good night and amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.